Hello, and uh, good to be together for our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, as we typically will look forward to the passage before us, and tonight we'll be looking to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. But uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing as we begin our study together. Father, we thank you for your word that is your truth, that is absolutely and true and, and worthy of our study, worthy of our trust enabling us to follow Christ and to become more like him by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. Father, as we come tonight, we pray you'd bless this time with uh, open eyes and open hearts for us. Speak to us through your word, and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to, before we begin, John, I'd like to go back a little bit and show you some illustrations that I wanted to show you in other passages. Back when we were in Psalm 56... And there was that interesting statement, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Well, I mentioned the tears, was a, uh, putting tears in a bottle was a way of showing grief. And I mentioned, I think, this chapel and even showed you a picture. On the Mount of Olives, looking toward the old city. So we're standing, if we're taking, if we're taking this picture, we're standing on the Temple Mount looking over across the Kidron Valley to, I should I split, oh, across the Kidron Valley uh, to the Mount of Olives. And about midway up is a uh, chapel. And this chapel, uh, if you look carefully at it, we'll see, better look at it later, it's kind of tear-shaped. The tradition is that this is the place where Jesus stopped coming down the Mount of Olives looked out and cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And so he, he, he shed tears over Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to jump perspective. We're going to quickly transport to the other side of the Kitchen Valley, and now we're going to be in the chapel looking toward the Temple Mount. So if you look through the window in that chapel, there's the Temple Mount um, right, right in front of us. And so that's the view from within the chapel. So that gives you perspective where it is. Like basically right, right same height as the temple. Here is the chapel itself. It's called uh, Dominus Flevit. The Lord crying is the idea there. Now I mentioned that, the part, that one of the things that was of interest was that part of the chapel, there were... Um, representations of tear bottles. So if you look up there, those little shapes are in the traditional shape of, of, the, of tear bottles. So in the time of mourning, you'd have a little bottle like that and you would collect the tears and that would be a, a lasting memorial of the loved one who died um, in, in those little bottles. And so that, those bottles, you know, this is the shape of the chapel, the tear bottles, this reminds us of the Lord weeping over Jerusalem. Can you see those bottles? Let me get rid of the squares now, and then maybe you'll see them more clearly. You see them there? So, thought that would, I mentioned that and thought I'd point it, point it out to you. Now, another uh, thing that's not quite into the Gospel of John yet. Since we're studying the Gospel of John... I wanted to call your attention to the fact there is a Gospel of John video. Um, it's rather creatively entitled, The Gospel of John. 
Um, you will also find it if you were if you're using looking for it on um, Amazon Prime. I think it's the title is rather the um, the Life of Christ. So I'm showing you the picture um, because that's the the character of Christ in it, and that would help you recognize which Gospel of John am I looking for. What's good about it is it's it's very. There's only a couple of minor points in there that I'd say eh, not quite right with the history and all that. Most of it very faithful. Um, and it, the text, uh, uh, the, the, I think all the dialogue, or certainly the dialogue of Jesus, but I think all of it is directly quoting uh, the Bible from, the, from the, the Good News Bible. Now, again, that wouldn't be my uh, go-to Bible study thing, but it, it works for the movie. So that, but that's the nice thing is they try as much as possible. Just here is the presentation of the biblical account of the Gospel of John. And so... Um, you might want to look at that as you, for that can be, this is you, if you notice this is a uh, I just took a snapshot if you will of from from a YouTube I think is where this one was, and it is on YouTube the one dilemma on some of the ones you can see it's also in um, IMDb have you ever seen that that's a channel in Roku you know the one side is the um, uh, there's ads most of them it seems like are obnoxious insurance ads but I won't go any further but, but all of the same though is if you do the free versions like that there may be some ads but it's about a three-hour presentation of the gospel of john so very well done so i call that to your attention as we're heading towards uh, time in the um thinking of the lord's death burial and resurrection might be something you want to look at or if you want to just follow along uh, little snippets uh, I don't think it would take you very long to get through the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Comments on that? Questions? Yes. That one says, um, with Christopher Plummer. Ah, yes. Christopher Plummer is the narrator. And so, um, and I think there are maybe some other known names as well. John Wayne is not in this one. <laughs> he is in one of them. Which one is it? Is it the, uh, is it the greatest story ever told? I think he's the centurion that says, surely this is... The Son of God or something? Tri- Bible movie trivia for the night. How do you like that? Okay. So anyway, I, like I said, I encourage you to consider that. And, and uh, yes, that's even the text back there behind him is a good p- illustration of what an early manuscript of the Gospel of John would look like. That's actually John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All capitals, no spaces. So I encourage you to consider. And... Um, you can also get the DVD. And if you get the DVD, uh, I think there's even a way where it'll tell you what chapter and verse, you know, or you can search by chapter and verse or look at it. So. And I get nothing for this advertisement. Okay. Let's go to our text, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 15, but we'll just start with John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Um, I, I put a note here. Literally, you might say Jesus, may, uh, more disciples Jesus made and baptized. You know, I know it's in the Greek, you can, the word order tells you something. Emphasis on more disciples were made and he baptized them. So therefore, the Lord know it doing that. What does that 
um, what does this teach us? This just this issue of Jesus baptizing, making and baptizing disciples. There's the Great Commission. You know, he was he was doing it, modeling it. A lot of times we 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 don't see a lot of baptism in the Gospels. We see the baptism of Jesus, um, but part of his disciple making, including um, baptism. And so, by the way, you notice the biblical concept is disciples get baptized. Uh, I was really struck by that when I was over in uh, Taiwan doing um, a, a summer of ministry. And they were telling me stories of, um, you know, like, you know, that was the baptism was the dividing point. That's when you said, I'm really a Christian. So someone may come to Bible study, may go to church, may say, yeah, yeah, I believe all that. And then you ask them, are you ready for baptism? Oh, no. They saw that as the mark. I'm really going to identify with Christ. And so some would say, no, if I did that, that would really make a break in my family. So they would, you know, but that tended to be uh, an interesting uh, understanding. That was a way of identifying with Christ. Okay. Um, Verses 3 and 5, he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So, no, no, it's just Samaria. Any, any area would do, Samaria. <laughs> uh, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Well, I always like to, I think it's so helpful for you to always look at maps if you can, in the back of your Bibles, there are maps. A lot of times we're not using printed Bibles. Again, I really I should have probably made a screenshot, but there's a, a wonderful Bible app that I love called Bible Map. Very creative title. It's excellent. It's, I don't know that it's on Android, but it, it is in, um, it is? It's, it's in uh, Apple for sure. And um, Apple deserves some special credit. They are not selling any Apple products, and the App Store is shut down in Russia right now. And McDonald's has declared it to be a, a no-fry zone. <laughs> I, that's, I stole that one. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, that, that what I love about that app is you can tell that I want to look at Chapter 4, and it will put on the map dots for every geographic spot in Chapter 4. And then you can zoom in on them and see them and find out about them. So you've got it in Android as well. Great. Yeah. Good resource. But let's look at some maps together. Unfortunately, it's not available on the web, I don't think, separately or as an app for uh, computer, PC. But here's, here's a map. And first, I just wanted you to get a general picture of these areas that, um, that are on the map. So... Here is Samaria. So it's, and, and it, they don't put a hard line here to say where it is. Uh, they, they kind of overlap. But the regions of Judea and Samaria. And again, remember in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus was giving his disciples. Here's another statement of the Great Commission. You shall be witness for me. In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. And so here we see, uh, this map again shows you um, the, um, the, where Jesus left Nazareth and came down to be baptized. 
Well, let's fill in some pointers for you. There is Judea right there. There's Samaria. Again, these are regions, not a specific city, though there is a city that has that name. There is the the city of Sychar where uh, this event happens. So again, that gives you some perspective. Let me step back and uh, again uh, mention maps. I did go online to see if there was a Bible map was online, and it's not, but there is a, um, uh, an app called Bible Web App. That is a, the, the creative names of these creative people, BibleWebApp.com. It's a very useful and helpful app in some ways. It does have maps, and so here's a good picture of a map of the region. Useful. Now, what's interesting is, so here's a picture of John chapter 4. Now, you can set it up in different ways. The way this standardly set up, here's an English text. Uh, I don't know that, I don't think they have New King James, but lots of English translations. Then you can set it up with another English translation. If you want to compare, like, uh, what's the King James say and the New King, or uh, New American Standard, ESV, compare them if you like. Then if you do it, here's a, you could do a search, and here's a search, and you notice uh, looking up the word baptize or baptism, here's all the places that, you know, they kind of mark it here, the highlighted showing up. I know this is not a great way to see it. Up here's a little uh, graph that if, you were, if this were all the, uh, on the web, each of those columns is uh, different books of the New Testament. So that would kind of give you a feel how frequently it's mentioned in each of those books. Then... Um, if you look up real carefully up here, it kind of shows you map and pictures. Then you can also say, show me your media. And that's where I found the map. And there's some pictures that relate to John chapter 4. Like, for example, there's Jesus with the uh, Samaritan woman. And here's another picture. Um, so, I just... Pardon me? Yeah, very weird. Um, you wonder when you see that, you know, with the glow around Jesus, if the person had recently had cataract surgery, because that's, I'm kind of, I'm telling Barb driving over, it's, it's kind of fun if I see a red light in particular, it kind of looks like a Ferris wheel right now. So, um, so this, but yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so there's a, just another way of looking at it. Um, again, now here's an interesting, another map. Again, you get the basic feeling there. But I wanted you to, again, see some of these regions. Here's Judea. So here's, uh, here's Dead Sea. So you get a figure. So Jerusalem's over here. Judea, Samaria, Galilee. So these are the regions broken up in the time of Jesus. To put it in perspective, here's what it looks. The, here it is um, with some modern boundaries. So here is the Gaza Strip. This area here is um, the West Bank. West Bank because it's on the West Bank of the Jordan River. And so a lot of times people refer to the West Bank of Israel, in Israel or the West Bank um, where Jews in, uh, often like to say in Israel, they call it Judea and Samaria rather than the West Bank, emphasizing uh, Jewish ownership. Up here is the Golan Heights you hear about. 
That's an area that, if you notice, it was actually part of Syria. Uh, but Syrians posted all kinds of guns and, and snipers so they could rain fire down on this, the Galilean region. And so in the 67 war, or maybe the 73, the uh, Israelis took control of this region. It's now under their control. Here's Syria. You get the basic idea. So let's go back to our map that we were looking at. There's those Samaria, Sychar, and Judea. And let me just show you the trip that I think Jesus took. I think his baptism was happening somewhere. I mentioned in the sermon last week. Uh, his baptisms were happening probably at the Jordan River, just east of the city of Jerusalem. And that's probably where, where he was baptized by Jesus. So you notice if you take this trip from there up to Sychar, my, a, a Bible map uh, tells me that that's about 27 miles, 27, 30 miles. Often when we think of uh, journeys in those days, you would think of a 25-mile trip as being a day's journey. Remember, people walked everywhere back then, so you, they were used to walking. This would be a bit of a climb. Down by Jericho, is about, the Dead Sea is the lowest spot in the world. And so, uh, you know, I'm guessing it would be a 3,000-foot climb or, or more over 27 miles. But, you know, it would be kind of a journey, but it would be reasonable to do that in a day, especially since you didn't all have, you know, families and that sort of thing. Make sense? Get a picture of it? Again, I think it always helps to just kind of look at the map and see distances, see perspective. In one sense, it's all very close. 27 miles, I mean, that's closer than Dallas. And, and even though you were driving to Dallas, the way traffic is going sometimes, it takes you about the same. Uh, <laughs> or maybe a little less. Okay? So let's go. So, so, so we got a picture of the background. Um, Jesus decides to leave and comes up to Sychar. And uh, we're told Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. Why would he be wearied from his journey? 27 miles uh, uh, upgrade uh, for the whole journey. Doable, but by the end of the journey, weary. What does that tell us about Jesus? Pardon me? He, it shows us his humanity. Uh, some sides of, uh, in Christian history wanted to say, yes, Jesus is fully God, but, but he's not really a man. Here, here we see him tired in his humanity. Okay? He's wearied. And, and it was about the sixth hour. Now here he is sitting by the well. This is one way it could have looked. How's that one look? Does that look acceptable? Better. Much better. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So it said it was at the sixth hour. That's always a question. What do you mean by that? Part of the problem is there were two different ways of reckoning time. The Roman method, which is basically what we do. Midnight and noon are two starting points for the clock. And the Jewish method, sunset and sunrise are the starting points. So Sabbath, for example, begins Friday evening and ends Saturday evening. So Friday Afternoon, you're scrambling to make sure everything is ready so you can be in the rest mode for the Sabbath. 
And, and, um, but Saturday evening when the Sabbath is over, at least, you know, the college kids, they head into town because uh, it's, you know, party time again. Visit with their friends. People go shopping Saturday evening because everything's been shut down for 24 hours. So kind of get the picture. So let's think about, based on Roman reckoning, sixth hour would be six hours from noon. No, they're not saying he arrived at six in the morning, but six after hours after noon. Make sense? Okay. Um, Jewish reckoning uh, would say, and I did a quick check, in May, at least in 2022, uh, sun rises about 545 in the morning and sets about 728. So if you go from sunrise to uh, count the time for the sixth hour, that would put you right around noon that he, they would arrive in Sychar. Okay? Make sense? Um, just looking at what we've said already about the text, does one strike you as more likely than the other? Pardon me? Noon? Noon? So what time do you think they had to leave baptism site? They probably had to have left in the dark, right? And, and that's not always a good idea. Is it reasonable to think that if sunrise was 6 in the morning, um, and they could get there by 6 in the evening? Um, again, they, they know how to hike back in those days. That, that seems more reasonable. Let's look at something else. Different authors use different systems. Um, Mark tended to use Jewish time. So when he said that passage in Mark 15, 25, um, Jesus was crucified in the third hour. And that wasn't 3 a.m., uh, but rather in the third hour from um, sunrise, about 9 a.m. Now go back to, to, to John 1914, when Jesus was crucified, it was the preparation day of the Passover. About the sixth hour, um, Pontius Pilate said, Behold your king. So he's he's basically just about to condemn him and send him off to crucifixion. At the sixth hour. Now, if that's uh, Jewish time, that would mean noon. That doesn't fit with what we can see with Mark saying he was crucified at. 9 a.m. So John seems to be using Roman time. He was crucified uh, at the sixth hour. Six. A, I mean, he was he was condemned at 6 a.m. And that fits with the rest of the time frame. Okay, makes sense. So what that tells me is John likes to use the Roman time. So the sixth hour means Jesus was at the well about 6 p.m. Makes sense. Quick question. How many of you came tonight hoping that would be clarified? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's kind of what I thought. Well, let's get back to geography just a little bit. Jacob's well. What does Jacob's well look like? That's Jacob's well. That's Jacob's well in Texas. I didn't know there was a, how many knew there was a Jacob's Well in Texas, in Wimberley, Texas? 
That's a Jacob's well. That's an unusual well. It's an artesian spring. In other words, it just it just bubbles out. It releases thousands of gallons of water a day. It's the second largest fully submerged cave in Texas. The deepest part of the cave cavern system is 140 feet deep. Now, now look at that hole. I think it goes down 140 feet. You'd be very careful if you're swimming at Jacob's Well. Um, the main cavern length is 4,000 feet horizontally, which branches off the main cavern, and it's, uh, which is uh, 1,314 feet. I don't know if I read that quite right, but it's quite a cavern system under, underneath. So here is a diagram of this extensive cave system. And they go down with scuba gear. And you can go online and see YouTube. I thought Barb would especially appreciate seeing, here's a scuba diver. <laughs> I watched some of these guys. Uh, I mean, literally, they're, they're, they're having to sometimes take the tanks off so they can squeeze between rocks. It takes a, uh, it takes a certain kind of person to do that, of which I, and that to me, it's, it's hard enough to watch people doing that when there's no water. <laughs> so anyway, but here it is in the hill country of Texas, uh, we have a Jacob's well. Okay. Shall we go to the real one? I'm guessing it was named uh, after the original well. So here's Jacob's well. And now I want you to watch a video, okay, and about it. That's, I think I've shown uh, something like this, this group before. I'm not sure. Yes, I have. So, I thought you'd like to see a few minutes. We're going to take a quick uh, visit to Israel, okay? And now, if you want to, he'll kick some lights off or if it's clear enough to see. In John, the fourth chapter, we have recorded this wonderful conversation between Jesus and this woman from Samaria. The scriptures tell us that took place at a well in the city of Sychar. Sychar is modern-day Nablus. Well, I want to take you to the city of Nablus because there's a Greek Orthodox church there in which contains Jacob's well that we read about in the Bible. It's an hour and 15 minutes north of Jerusalem. It's right in the middle of the West Bank. As you approach Nablus, you have the opportunity to drive through what we refer to as Samaria in the New Testament times. And one of the things that strikes you immediately is how hilly and how mountainous that area is. Imagine walking that. It would be very, very difficult. And the scriptures even say that Jesus, when he approached this well, he was thirsty. That's why he stopped there.
bring you here and show you this because there is very, very good historical evidence to show that this is the actual hole in the ground that was dug by Jacob and his men over 3,500 years ago. We're not able to say that very often. No, we're not. But the historical evidence here is very, very strong. The fact that you had a well of that nature, that depth, through that type of ground, it makes sense that they'd be able to keep track of that over such a long period of time. So if that was the well Jacob dug, this is the same location where Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Let me read a couple of verses here from John, the fourth chapter. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. To have Jesus in Samaria in the first place and to initiate this conversation with a Samaritan woman is pretty significant. The woman went into logistics. How on earth are you going to get any water? The well is really deep. I'll tell you what, why don't you draw some water for us? good. Okay, Jeremy, there's one other thing I want you to do for me. I want you to dip a cup of this water and pour it down the well. And I want you to be real quiet. I want you to listen so you can see how deep it is. How high up is that? It's amazing, isn't it? It's got to be well over 100 feet deep. Wow. Yeah. There are nuances to the story about the depth of the well that we would just gloss over. Well, of course, the well is deep. So going to that place and playing with the water really highlighted a seemingly insignificant line in this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And there are things like that all through the Bible. And they emphasize these were real people and real places. And even those small details are important and connect us to reality. Jesus stops and interacts with a Samaritan, but not just any Samaritan. He interacts with a woman, which is culturally not normal. And he interacts with a woman of disreputable character. I mean, she's had multiple husbands. He's never met her before, but he understands what her character has been. And he has this long verbal exchange with her. And at the conclusion of it, he's able to talk to her about who the Messiah is and how to worship God. What Jesus was trying to get to as he interacted with this woman was to make the connection that he was providing living water to her. And they go back and forth with this dialogue. The topic changes quickly over the course of a very short conversation, but Jesus is moving it to a very important point. There are a couple of passages at the end of that exchange where the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so Jesus reveals to this Samaritan woman that he's the long-awaited Messiah. And she runs into town and tells everybody what she's experienced. They all come out and he spends a couple of days there and helps this entire town come to realize who he is. So many biblical events happened right here. There's just so many layers of history to this one spot. Reactions? Have you been there? No. I, I mean, I've been to 
that area, but I've not been into that church. Yeah. And said, I wonder how they or imagine digging that well hundred feet. Think of that. But isn't that amazing? Jacob was there. Um thirty five hundred years ago, well, let me think, two thousand more than thirty, more like eighteen hundred years ago. Right there. Jesus was right there talking to that woman. Not, you, know, that, you know it's true, but somehow there's something about seeing that spot and hear, and, or visiting those spots, and it just really helps hammer home, wow, it's true. Um, digging a hundred-foot well. Yikes. But again, that's the whole thing of, you can see why this is, that's got to be the well. It's in the right area. There's the well. It's been a, um, producing water for quite some time. So it's either that or Texas. Any other thoughts on that? So again, this is um, there's low there are a load of great videos, um, but this is um, produced by Appian Media, A P P I A N Media, and they just go to all these sites and just uh, do that sort of thing there. So I think you'd find it to be very uh, exciting. Yes. Chosen movie has a good oh, segment yeah. on this. This is there's a whole episode uh, in the chosen uh, movie around this this meeting this meeting here. Now we're going to spend a couple of Sundays on it. We're only going to go to chapter verse fifteen, but yes, that would be another. Um, th- and that's different from the Gospel of John, where the chosen fills in a lot of details, uh, kind of fictionalizes some things. What was he thinking? What what all did they say? You know, the Gospel of John says, I'm only going to say what exactly it says in the Gospel of John. But, um, but yeah, that would be another uh, interesting partake on it. One other thing I just want to notice is they draw, driving through the West Bank. Um, what did you notice? Okay, they noticed the hills. What else did you see? Brown, Brown rocks. Rocks. Lot, the, Israel has a lot of rocks. There's an Arab tradition that when... God was creating the world. He sent out these angels with 10 bags of rocks. And um, they spilled them. And they all hit right in this area. (laughs) The rocks everywhere. Did you see a lot of agricultural development? No. Um, Did, pardon me? And no lakes or streams. Yeah, there's no lakes or streams. I mean, you know, it's very much uh, rain and uh, um, cistern and that kind of thing. uh, Water systems in Israel today, um, about seventy percent of the drinking water is from the ocean that's gone through that's been desalinized. Um, but but anyway, you just see that there's not a lot of development that, in those areas. No no real agricultural, not you know olive trees, yes. But, you do, but so in other words, as you're driving down aside from the highway and the bus that they're in, that that's pretty much what Jesus saw as he came. So um, it doesn't look, you know, other parts of Israel, you couldn't say that. But that's pretty authentic. Um, John, uh, and so by the way, just in terms of tourism, because it's West Bank, sometimes, a lot of times tourists don't go there just because it can be a little 
It can get hot sometimes. Verses 7 to 9. A woman of Samaria, okay, now finally we're getting to this character, came to drink water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So what's the deal about um, Jews and Samaritans? Samaritans have blended the Jewish faith with um, other faiths that they brought with them when they were, weren't the Samaritans brought from somewhere else to populate that? Well, that area was, was populated with when the Assyrians... Uh, took away the northern tribes. They brought in people from other places, but there were still some of the northern tribes, so it was kind of became an intermingled, ethnically intermingled. And then, so they weren't ethnically pure Jews. That did affect some of their beliefs, but um, and they, you know, they have a lot of belief, very similar in some ways to Judaism. They have their own Pentateuch, which is actually a little different. Um, but and that's all they believe of to be God's word is the Pentateuch. But because of those differences and goes both ways, there was a lot of hostility. We don't they don't really interact much. Though I, I tell you, I, I've really I'll probably talk about this more in the sermon. She says uh, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and that's one of the things when I'm reading along with the Greek and I'm think and I look at and then I look at that and say, that's not how I would have rendered that. The, if I can get real literal, the word no dealings or don't have dealings with is, or to have dealings with is it, it could translate, they don't have use with. And so the idea I think is um, they don't share utensils. They don't share, you know, so if you've touched it, I'm not going to touch it. I think that's, and so she's saying, if I use a Samaritan pitcher, if I give you a Samaritan cup, Jews don't drink out of Samaritan cups. It's contaminated by Samaritans. And so um, I think that's more the, because do they have dealings with them? Where are the disciples right now? They're, and where are they buying food? In Samaria. Yeah, so they don't seem to you know, have any problem with going into town and buying food. But they wouldn't sit down and eat with. I think I've shared with you before my time I was having friend with one, uh, lunch with one of my um, Orthodox friends, Orthodox Jewish friends. And, and he, he said, you know, really, I'm not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> Which made me just feel really great. But he said, but, but, but I'll go ahead and do it for you. Thank you. So, but all that to say, they wouldn't sit down and have a cup of tea. They wouldn't sit down and have a meal with a Samaritan. And, um, and so, 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 but you want to drink a water because you're thirsty and you're going to drink out of my Samaritan cup. You know, I think there's some, uh, some of that. So it goes both ways. And, and I think one thing we can gain, glean, so what are things we can, what can we glean just out of, out of this interaction? She's there by herself. Okay. It seems like this is not the ideal time, kind of in the warm of the evening and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans, Jesus see those same boundaries. He's reaching the Gentiles. He has no problem sitting down and having a conversation with a, a, a Samaritan woman. Yeah. wanted him to heal her daughter. He said, um, I'm here for the Jewish people first. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, there he makes it clear why he came to eventually. He did make that need too, but just remind his he came from the house of Israel. But we see him also reaching out and, and, and as this text will go forward, he'll spend time sharing the gospel in Samaria because they, you know, maybe I guess you'd look, they're part of the uh, in a way related, but you know, basically he's bringing the gospel to them. Notice, think about the contrast, and maybe I don't know if that will be a homework assignment for you to think about before Sunday. Where, what's the chapter before John 4? John 3, good. That's the engineer there. He's good with that math. He's doing, you know, okay, good. Um, but, but it's a very, I think, a very important thing to notice. There's a who did we find in John 3? Nicodemus. Make yourself two columns describing Nicodemus and describing this woman and see what you come up with. Kind of a compare and contrast between these two individuals. And it'd be almost like, I'm not sure you could find two more different people and there's a lesson for us there too. So, so do that. I'm not going I don't think I'm going to develop that for you. Do some, do some thinking. Go look at John three. Look at John four. Think about these. What we know about these individuals. And um, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if you come up with more things than I did. But um, do that before Sunday. Think about that. And what do we get out of that? So, um, anyway, so here's Jesus with this Samaritan woman. And again, she's she's floored that he's even talking to her. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Over a hundred feet. Were you impressed, by the way, how long it took to hear that water hit? Wow. Uh, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Why doesn't she understand what Jesus is saying here? Is he asking, saying that he, he's going to offer her a tastier cup of water? Yeah. Can, that, can you think of anyone else that had that struggle? Yeah, Nicodemus. So... And, and again, I call this teaching by confusion. You know, he, 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 he brings up this. What do you mean you're going to bring me? And by the way, living water, that would be an expression you might use of water that's like an artesian well or a stream. It's not cistern water. It's living water. But so she's th- thinking, you know, She's thinking in the wrong direction, just like Nicodemus. And, but notice what Jesus is doing. She's asking him, please explain what you're talking about. And so 
Uh, I've heard of people that creatively will do something like that in evangelism. I heard of one guy, I can't remember exactly what his story was, but like he'd be on an airplane and, you know, most natural thing is, oh, what do you do? Oh, excuse me, would you take out that pot? Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> what, kind of work, what kind of work? I do this. And, and, and this guy was uh, an evangelist or pastor, I'm not sure what, but he said, what do you do? Well, he said, I guide people into uh, investment that is, uh, uh, you know, just an incredible return guaranteed. And then he kind of goes back to reading his magazine and just waits. And finally, you know, all right, I'll bite. <laughs> Tell me about it. What is, what is, and then he shares the gospel, you know, but, but he gets the person to, you know, okay, I want to hear what you're, what you're going to talk about. And Jesus can do that. So, um, so Jesus is talking to her. There he is again. Last few verses. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. He's making it worse, isn't he? <laughs> um, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. Now does she understand? No. <laughs> no, she's still not getting it, but that's okay. Because at least she's saying, I want what you have to offer. Okay? But what is it that Jesus is talking about? What's that? Salvation? Everlasting life? A Holy Spirit? But, but and, and, and it would, it's not uncommon to see water and spirit talked about. But, but again, once he's, what he's doing is he's built a bridge to this Samaritan woman so that she wants to hear what he has to say. Um, and, and, and so it'll, it'll go on from there. But. So here's a, the conversation as Jesus uh, takes that opportunity and, and builds a bridge. Kind of a challenge to us. How could I, you know, what are some bridges that I could build? And I think partly the first thing is understanding the per- trying to understand the person you're talking to. In one sense, it's a similar strategy with Nicodemus, but on the other hand, he takes it very differently, doesn't he? Um, so what communicates with this person? Um, how do I show them personal interest and whatever it might be so that they are wanting to hear what I have to say. And of course, then, of course, praying the Holy Spirit. Just, uh, I can't give you a direct formula, but um, I think that's a challenge. I think we can learn from Jesus. Any other thoughts or questions on that? It takes a little different strategy with Nicodemus because here you have a high-ranking religious leader that's maybe coming from a more prideful position and then this lady she's not looked on well in society and you know her it's like oh it's living water that'd be great yeah um, make my life a little bit easier interestingly did it uh, um, nicodemus came looking for you know, he was asking questions different than what jesus wanted to answer but he came seeking jesus out she was putting up a wall mm-hmm yeah, 
very secret, you know, kind of secretively. So, yeah, so like I said, you could have real fun doing a little study of that before Sunday. Maybe after Sunday, because I'm going to miss a lot of it. Yes, sir. Maybe I'm not thinking clearly, correct me if I'm not, but it's Jacob's well that the Samaritans call Jacob their father. Yeah. So, um, and by the way, Muslims, Jews, and Gentiles, and Samaritans all agree this is Jacob's well. That's interesting. Not, not that many sites that you can get them all on board with that. They all would, uh, you know, honor Jacob. Um, and I'm not sure. They would probably honor him as a prophet, I guess. Uh, that's a good question of where he fits into there. You know, because there's a break between, um, you know, Isaac and Ishmael. And so the Arabs trace to Abraham through Ishmael. Isaac, Jacob, that's not what they see as the promised line. But they also see the uh, patriarchal, the figures of the Bible as prophets. And so they, pro- they must put Jacob in that category. Well, again, I'm thinking they're Muslims, but, but definitely um, the Samaritans would see themselves as you know, true followers of the biblical faith. By the way, they still have a, a, a Passover a sacrificial system uh, that they have in that area. I don't know how much further I can say without stepping out on thin ice of, 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 of my ignorance. I think it would be more along those lines that there are, they are the legitimate followers. As I said, um, there is a Samaritan Pentateuch, which is very ancient. It has, uh, you know how we talk sometimes in the New Testament about differing manuscripts? Well, the Samaritan Pentateuch um, shows it's coming from a, has some textual differences from the Hebrew Bible, but it basically is, is the five books of Moses, very much so. And so they, and of course, and that's where you see Jacob and all that. And so they see themselves as um, following the patriarchs. And there still are Samaritans today. Uh, I don't know the current statistic. At one point, it was around 700 of them. When I was in the area, I met some Samaritans, as a matter of fact, and talked with them a little bit. I should have asked for a glass of water and see where that went. They probably would have handled, handed me a bottle of Perrier. Well, good. So uh, I've got you started. I'll help you. Maybe the, you see where these things are and got some questions going here. Study these. Think about Nicodemus. Think about the Samaritan woman. And think about how Jesus treats and interacts with both of them. That's helpful. Well, let me pray, and then we'll find out how to pray for each other. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, I do pray that you would... Um, Help us to ever grow in our understanding, in our application, in our love for your word. And Father, I thank you that we, especially here in these Gospels, we get to see our Lord Jesus Christ at work. And we see his compassion, we see his wisdom, we see his grace in dealing with people. Father, may we learn from him, may we follow him. 
May we be used of him for your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.